A fabringen, in Yiddish a term meaning a joyous gathering, but it's really so much more. It's insight, it's inspiration, it's the bottom line. Join Rabbi Levi Avtson, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. for the Fabringen, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avtson from Linksfield Shul. It's a privilege and an honor to be here. Last week I wasn't on the show. Thank God my wife gave birth to a beautiful baby girl late Monday night, early Tuesday morning. And although every part of me wanted to be on the show last week, I was a bit too tired and maybe a bit too hyper to be here. So it's good to be back. Thank God the baby's well, mom's well, dad will be okay. And it's um, it's always a privilege to be here. Agree. You agree. It's a privilege to be here. And today I want to talk about seemingly a simple topic and, you know, the kind of topic that if you've been listening to Soul to Soul for a while, you've heard it a million times. But nevertheless, I think we come to it from a bit of an original and Fabring and Bend and hope that it leaves its impact on each and every one of us. And... Before I um, before I go anywhere, I want to play a song. I know we just came from a song, but I want to play a song. It's one of my favorite songs. We've played it many times on the show. It's by Ari Goldwag. It's called Superman, and hopefully we'll set the tone of this conversation. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Afton from Linksfield Chul. You could always telegram us at 061 SMS 34519, studio number 010-140-340-2020. We are live here in the studio, and let's get right into it, that beautiful song, Superman. I just, the first time I actually heard it was here at Chai FM quite a few years ago, and ever since then, every few months, I just need to play it. And for me, it has various messages, but the message that, first of all, I just love the kids' pure voices, and this idea that there's many different types of supermen, many different types of superhuman beings, there's many different types of ways to accomplish, and, you know, a child grows up thinking that to be a superman is one thing, and then they discover it could be many other things. So, today I want to talk to you about learning. I'm not going to learn something with you as much as I'm going to talk about learning something. Let's talk about learning, which, as I said, is maybe a hashed-out topic, but there's always room to discuss it from a new perspective. There's many reasons why a person learns, and I'm talking about, obviously, it's the soul-to-soul show here on Chai FM. I'm talking about Torah learning learning about heritage, learning about God's will, learning about Judaism, Jewish history, Jewish wisdom, knowledge, etc. There's many reasons why one would learn. A person would learn because they love study. They just love stimulating their mind. A person could learn for a much more pious reason. They want to cleave with God. And when they learn God's will, they literally become one with God. A person could learn because it's a mitzvah. It's the right thing to do. A, A person could learn because it it gives them passion to their Judaism, etc., 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 each person with their own thing. Today I want to focus on one angle of learning, one reason why we have to be so careful about l- making sure we learn every day something. Each and every one of us has a perspective on life. 
whether you consider yourself a philosopher or not, whether you share the perspective with others or not, you have a perspective. And the perspective is how you live your life. You live your life based on the value system that is inside your head, inside your heart. Every decision you make is based on a value system. Now, not always is it a good value system. Sometimes it could be a system of fear. But even fear comes from a certain perspective. It can come from a perspective of pessimism. It could come from a perspective of just learned behavior of, you know, expect the worst, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to give an analogy, a very simple analogy. You go into the store and you want to buy a washing machine. Fine. You see various labels. LG. GE, etc., 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 etc. Now, why are you going to choose one over the other? So the simple reasons, based on how many kilo you want it to fit, 6 kilo, 8 kilo, 11 kilo. Then there's issues of brand. Then there's issues of color. Then there's issues of efficiency. Then there's issues of just what your heart connects to, etc., etc., now, you t- a small little decision as a washing machine is never a purely objective decision. My experience comes with it. I'll give you a meta analogy, a car. You walk in and you want to buy a car. And the difference now is between a 100,000 rand car, 200,000 rand car, 300,000 rand car, 400,000 rand car. And you'll start saying things like the 400,000 rand car is the best. First of all, it costs the most. It has the best safety. It has the best look, I will feel good, etc. And all those th- th- the input that you're putting into the decision is all coming from perspectives. Like I remember when I came to South Africa, one of the things that boggled my mind, I grew up in New York. In New York, at least in the community I grew up in, I'm not saying everybody was not materialistic. There was enough materialism. But materialism never expressed itself, at least the people I knew in cars. At least when I was growing up, that wasn't the kind of thing of status. Everybody just drove a dark, drabby car. You know, it's New York after, and you're parking on the road, and you just need a practical piece of metal that will take you from place A to place B. Status maybe, you know, was in the vacation home you had, in the, the street your house was built on, the kind of house you had. But status didn't really uh, express itself in cars. And I remember moving to South Africa, and one of the things that was different for me, obviously there's a million differences. One difference is that for many people over here, car is a thing of status. You'll have people whose houses are, let's say, middle to lower class socioeconomic you know, standard, and their car is middle upper class. You'll have people who literally, you'll walk into their house, you think that they're just average, and then you sit there, they're driving nothing less than a Lexus, and you're wondering, saying, well, I grew up, if you drove a Lexus, that means you're, you were living in a very posh neighborhood, etc. But over here, that's what you do. You drive a Porsche, you drive this, you drive that, everyone with their standards. Now, again, it's not a criticism. Each society defines itself in a certain way. Now, when you're going and you, you're buying a car here in Joburg, and you're, you, you think you're buying the car simply because you'll use things like safety. You know, there's crime after all. I need a car that's, that can protect. I need for accidents, um, et cetera. And you'll tell yourself a bunch of things and chances are you'll walk out with 
if you could afford it with a more expensive car. You, if I put you in the exact same scenario in a different place that maybe had the same level of crime but didn't have the same perspective on cars, you would have a very different outcome. And sometimes if we're willing to put our biases and our ideas under a microscope, we could save ourselves a few hundred thousand rand on a car, on a house, on anything in our life, on the, on the, on the flight we buy, because we think that we make objective decisions, but ultimately we make decisions on based on how we see this world. And how we see this world is partially individualistic. Each and every one of us sees it in our own way. But partially, it's the society we come from and what we're taught. We're taught what is status. We're taught what is um, popular, what is beautiful, what is uh, accepted. And based on that, we make decisions very often unaware of the biases we're coming in. Again, not every bias is bad. Many biases are good. But there's no question that every decision we make is based on bias. Based on a perspective. Based on a taught methodology. We're taught to see things a certain way or we taught ourselves to see things a certain way. So back to the original topic. The importance of Torah study. We see the world in certain ways and we're convinced that that's objective our perspective on human beings, our perspective on nature, our perspective on family, our perspective on relationship, on earning money, on wealth, poverty, schooling, sport, etc., etc. We have tons of perspectives. How many of those perspectives are guided by God's wisdom? Torah learning, slowly but surely, each time we learn something, it slowly but surely teaches us how to see the world through different eyes. And suddenly that same decision that we made last time that that came from one bias is now coming from a much healthier bias. It's coming from the bias of God's perspective, at least the way we understand it. It's coming through Torah's bias. It's coming through a spiritual bias. How do we see each other, how do we see ourselves, how do we engage with this world, it's just one reason, but a very important reason to make sure that we're always studying Torah. Because every decision we make is based on our perspectives and our biases. And unless we put them under a microscope, can we really justify the decisions we make? Do we know that we're doing the right decisions for us? What are your thoughts? Obviously, there's many reasons why to study Torah. This is just one perspective, this idea of making sure that we see the Torah through a certain lens. And, and after the song, I want to take this theme and actually you know, expand it in a more relevant to an event that's uh, taking place this week um, and unpack it like we do at the Fabregan. Take one subject and unpack it. But would love to hear your thoughts. 34519, Telegram 061-895-1019. This is 101.9 Chai FM, and this is the song Lechatchila Ariber. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 Chai FM. So last week, um, there was various events across the world to commemorate the 75th anniversary since the liberation of Auschwitz. And there was an event in Israel, there was an event in Auschwitz and many other places around the world. And 75 years is a very long time, and yet it's a very short time. For many people alive, there's still many Holocaust survivors. 
For some of us, it's second generation or third generation. For some of us, it's relatives. But regardless, we're still, even though 75 years gives us the ability to have some perspective, it's still a raw and difficult discussion to have. Now, one of the things that got repeated over and over from the various speakers is this idea of rising anti-Semitism and how words are so powerful and whether they were bashing social media that allows on their platforms people to say the most spiteful things or just encouraging governments to create better policies to deal with hate speech. But there's no question that one of the big topics as people commemorate its 75th anniversary is this idea of the rebirth of line of hate speech. Now, if you've been alive more than 10 years, you might remember a time when Social media was the coolest thing since sliced bread, literally. Facebook was the most amazing thing. It's not even 10 years ago. It's five, six years ago before I, I believe that the, nine, the 2016 election and the aftermath and the fact that, you know, there was accusations of, of meddling in the news um, feed and fake news, etc. That story was a tipping point from when um, social media went from being the darling child of pretty much most of the Western world to a child under a microscope and where people started having much more ambivalent feelings about these open forums and suddenly questions of free speech started to be questioned. What does free speech mean? Obviously, everyone agrees. Everyone that lives in a liberal democracy agrees that there should be free speech. But what, what does free speech mean? Free to say hateful things, free to, you know, to have... Uh, a person like Gables from, you know, Nazi, the Nazi Germany getting up and saying his piece, how far does freedom go? And these conversations have started to take on. But 10 years ago, we had this ideal that, like, you know, we're going to live in a perfect world and the world is going to solve itself out. And, yes, some people say nasty things, but ultimately we'll figure it out. And suddenly we're realizing it's not figuring out. We're realizing once again we forgot how powerful words are. We forgot how powerful perspectives shared are. We live in a time that every individual has an opinion. Now, we always had opinions, but now we're entitled to share opinions. Not only are we entitled to share opinions, it's free to share your opinions. And the more bored you are, the more time you have to share your opinions. So if you only have a half an hour on Facebook a day, you only have a half an hour to share your opinions. If you happen to uh, be a bored solar, just not have anything to occupy, you have 24 hours a day to share your opinions. Now, often those opinions could literally be made five seconds earlier, etc. And people are just bombarding out there with opinions. Now, how many of the opinions being put out there, how many of the perspectives, how many of the criticisms and compliments that are being put out there are healthy and once out there are making the world healthier? I would argue that a serious amount of the output that goes onto social media and comes out of our mouths and comes out of our fingertips is nonsense. Now, if it's nonsense, it's one thing, but often it could be kind of destructive nonsense. Fear of the other, bashing, extreme politics on the right or the left, and the louder, the, the, the more 
radical a person, the more comments they get, which is one of the big complaints that people have on the media platforms, and that is that the more extreme your perspective, the more people get excited by what you say, excitement not only in a positive way, but even in a negative way, and that creates clicks, and that creates feedback, and therefore the conversation, it, it's almost as if the social media giants are encouraging you to say things controversial, because if you want to get likes, or if you want to get dislikes, you want to just make it out there, you want to, you know, hit, make a lot of hits, then you have to say something a bit crazy. If you come on and say something that's really common sense, like, hi guys, I just think we should all get along. Chances are either no one's going to comment, or everyone's going to bash on you and tell you, how dare you say something so stupid, are you naive, don't you realize what's really going on, blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah. If you don't believe me and you're a really busy fellow and you've never seen what YouTube comments look like or any Facebook comments, just go five seconds on the Internet. You know, while you're if you have five seconds to just see what kind of stuff people put out there. And we have a thing. Yeah, words are cheap. Billions of words are being posted every single moment. But once again, 75 years after Auschwitz, we're becoming aware again, the power of hate speech and the power of unhealthy perspectives. So I'll give you an example. Last week, uh, Stanford University in, uh, I believe it was Stanford, I, I stand to be corrected, um, gave out a manual or, or basically expected outcomes for uh, uh, reactions to the coronavirus in China. And one of the, they wrote one of the, expe- the expected outcomes and one of the outcomes you could, you know, see coming is fear of the other and, um, you know, kind of a bit xenophobic. I believe their intention was not to encourage it, but it came out of almost like that they were like justifying that it is a normal reaction. And boy, did they get lambasted from the, all corners of the earth. How dare you say that? But the mere fact that they could say something like that, I mean, like that it's because unfortunately that's what the world shows that when people are afraid, there is a huge rise in xenophobia. So right now, the past few weeks, it's been people from Asia. And suddenly, every one of them, at least in, in some people's perspective, is, is a danger. And whatever, you just read, like, people describing how they're, like, been living in the United States or anywhere for 30, 40 years. They've never been to Asia, definitely not recently, and yet they walk into a room and everyone turns away because they're scared of coronavirus. Now, you... That has become the way of the world. When there was the financial crash in 2008, that's one of the reasons that people, at least one of the reasons people claim that anti-Semitism rose again. Because this idea that when things are uncomfortable, fear of the other surfaces again. That is, where does that come from? In other words, why is it that the moment we're uncomfortable, we start becoming xenophobic again? Why is it that suddenly anti-Semitism rises when people are, you know, struggling financially, etc.? Somehow we created a perspective that it's a perspective. Again, I'm not talking about the deep root reason of anti-Semitism. I'm talking about if we just analyze it cold-bloodedly. At some stage in our lives, not my life, not your life hopefully, but at some stage in some people's lives, they were taught that when things fail, it's somebody else's fault. Because if you take accountability, it's too sore. It's much easier to blame the big banks. It's much easier to blame those powerful people. It's much easier to believe in a conspiracy of a bunch of powerful people. And that's why one of the most popular books ever sold is The Protocols of Elders Design with one big page, one big book of nonsense, pure anti-Semitism. Why? Because it resonates with people's perspective that when things are going chaotic, there's this whole group of people 
um, elders of Zion or other people with their Illuminati and etc. They start believing this idea that there's a bunch of people out there that are controlling the world. But that comes from a perspective, and that is when things are tough, it's somebody else's fault. What if you learned a different perspective? What if you learned that if there's a problem, go solve it? If there's a problem, go focus on building. I was watching Ronald Lauder, who gave a speech at Auschwitz last week. And he, it was a very interesting speech. And one of the things he shared is, he says, right after World War II, no Nazi was killed as revenge. The Jews left the camps, which whoever survived, and they went and went to build on their lives, whether in Israel, whether in Africa, South Africa, Australia, America, wherever they went, they went and built lives. Now, if there was ever a group of people that seemingly had justification to want to spend the rest of their life taking revenge, it was these Holocaust survivors. And yet they, they realized that if I want to be free, I have to go build a life for myself. That's a perspective. That's a Jewish perspective on how to walk out of tragedy. That's a Jewish perspective. Instead of developing hatred for the other, you develop compassion for the other. You go on and you believe in life again you get married and you have children and you build a future and you go build the countries you're in and you appreciate the countries you're in who are who who accept you the way you are one of the things are I, I the Lubavitcher Rebbe who lost family members in the Holocaust and actually was running away from the Nazis ended up in France and then in the United States he always used to say he was grateful for the United States for being a Malchus al Chesed a kingdom of kindness a, a, a rulership of kindness obviously not a monarchy a democracy of kindness but he would say like I came from the other world. I saw what chaos is and I appreciate what I have. So instead of the world and the life experiences making him bitter, he had the perspective of, let me go build. He always used to say, the best revenge you can have after the Holocaust is to continue grow Judaism. The best revenge against Hitler is to bring another Jewish child into the world and to raise them in a Jewish way. But that perspective... When you, when you see out there so many people who are getting afraid, whether it is the financials, coronavirus, po- extreme politics, and right away they're going to xenophobic, anti-Semitic, racist ideas, you have to say, where did you get that perspective? Who told you that when things are unsettling, you have to hate the other? That's not the default. You don't have to be like that. There's another way of seeing things. Torah, Judaism, Jewish perspective offers us another way of dealing with tragedy. To discover hope, to discover passion, to recommit to build a better world, to make us passionate, to build our lives. You don't have to hate the other. So when we see that we have certain reactions to life's events, we have to ask ourselves, what perspective is it coming from? What's feeding my perspective? Why do I see the world a certain way? And if it's a way that's unhealthy or it's counterproductive or counter the ideas of Torah, then we have to put it under a microscope and say, come on, that's not the way to see the world. If events out there make me more cynical, more depressed more suspicious of the other than it's not the events that are the problem. It's my perspective and my reaction that's the problem. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. So we've been talking for the last half an hour plus minus about this idea of how do we see life, how do we see reality and we have to put our perspectives under a microscope to make sure that our 
perspective of ourselves, each other, and the world is a Torah perspective. And now I want to take it to the next level and really um, kind of where I was leading the whole conversation. Tomorrow is a very big day in the Jewish calendar. Tomorrow is the 10th of Shabbat, which uh, many Jews around the world are commemorating as the 70th year year anniversary since the Lubavitch Rebbe Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson of blessed memory took over the leadership of the movement and pretty much changed the face of the Jewish world. And for many people, Chabad, as they know it, uh, you know, as uh, the, the outreach organization and the organization that's literally wherever you go, in many ways, although it was based on hundreds of years of previous leaders, but there's no question that the Rebbe took it to a whole different level. And what many of us are familiar with is thanks to his vision and his leadership. Now, one of the things the Rebbe would often repeat is a person has to make sure that they see Torah as a way of life. The Torah is not just a book, a history book or a book of laws, but it's a way, it's a way to, to behave in life and it's a way to see life. So, for example, Holocaust. We, we were talking about earlier in the show the Holocaust. The Rebbe obviously said that he's not here to give reasons for the Holocaust and he actually felt it was disrespectful to the victims and to try to justify God or to give any reasons. But he would say, I don't know why the Holocaust happened, but I definitely know what the outcome is, what the lesson is. And the, the lesson, or rather the reaction to it, has to be to grow, to be proud of who you are. Many people felt that the reaction to the Holocaust is hide your Judaism, be embarrassed of it. Look what it caused us. And the Rebbe said, no, on the contrary, go put on public menorah lightings. Go be proud of your Judaism. Walk around with a yarmulke. Walk around with pride with your tzitzis hanging out of you know your shirt and just be proud of who you are that was his reaction and his reaction came from the way he taught torah the way the torah taught him how to see life and people often ask me they say rabbi why why you chabadnik why do you resonate with the, the rabbi's teachings now obviously i grew up in a chabad family but at some stage of my life i had to actually ask myself is this what I want or is this just what I grew up in? And for me, again, this is not everyone's answer. It's, for me, what deep, the most resonated with me, why I, I committed um, to, to the Rebbe's vision and the Rebbe's passions is because the way the Rebbe saw the world was so beautiful. The Torah he taught was so sweet, so non-judgmental, so kind, so wise, so down-to-earth, so pragmatic. In other words, as I said throughout the show, Torah teaches us how to think. And each teacher, based on how they learn and how they teach, they they bring across certain messages. The Rebbe's messages that he brought from Torah were so beautiful, so empowering. I'll give you an example. You know, every year on the anniversary when the Rebbe took over leadership, which is tomorrow, the 10th of Shvat, the Rebbe would give a discourse. And he had like a 20-year cycle of discourses. Basically, his father-in-law, just before he passed away, gave a discourse with 20 paragraphs. And then what the Rebbe would do is for 20 years, he analyzed each of those paragraphs. And then he started that cycle again. So based on that cycle, many Jews this year are learning this, um, the cycle because it's 70 years. So they're in the, if it's a cycle of 20, this is the year number 10. So exactly 50 years ago, 1960... The Rebbe analyzed the the 10th paragraph. And it was a whole deep Hasidic discourse, but at some stage towards the beginning he goes and he focuses on this idea 
of why it's important to not see yourself worthless. And the Rebbe says, of course humility is important, but if you see yourself as worthless, then the value you add to this world is nothing, then how are you going to get up in the morning? How are you going to be able to do your purpose? You're not going to realize the consequence of your action when you do good or, heaven forbid, the opposite. If a person doesn't see themselves as worthy, then their actions are insignificant. And the Rebbe says, that's not the point of humility. Humility is not that you're insignificant, it's that... Despite your significance, you realize that it's all from God. But you don't see yourself as a shmata. You don't see yourself as a doormat. You don't see yourself as a nothing. You're a somebody. See your value. Now, many people, you know, teach. But how many people teach the, the student to feel empowered? The Rebbe's message, I was, as I was reading it just yesterday, I was looking it over and I was like, this is so empowering to remind myself that yes, I sometimes feel like I'm a nobody. I feel like, you know, I'm one of 7 billion or one of 15 million Jews and, uh, you know, life is so short, etc. What difference do I really make? And the Rebbe says, no. Bishvili Nivraelim, the world was created for you to make your impact. Don't see yourself as nothing. Hashem cares about what you do. Your actions have significance. You can build the world. You can hurt the world. You make a difference. Now that perspective, when I see, if I can internalize that perspective in my heart and in my mind, then every time I'm about to make a decision, my decision could be so much more healthy, so much more meaningful, because I realize how consequential the decision is. So if I'm, I don't realize how consequential my decisions are, then I make a decision, okay, I'll waste time. I'll sit and chill, I'll do nothing. But if I remember, hey, one second... Yes, it's important to relax, but just to waste time is no point. Remember, you're significant. God put you here for a reason. He asks you to do something because he wants you to play your part. He almost needs you to play your part. Do something. You're meaningful. Now that perspective suddenly makes your decision so different. We are our perspectives. And how we see life is how we impact the world. The Rebbe saw life in a certain way and therefore was able to transform the world in a way that very few leaders in history were able to. He saw a fellow Jew, he saw a fellow human being non-judgmentally. He saw Torah as practical. He saw pride in Judaism as the reaction to the Holocaust. And how he saw things is how he taught his students. And his students then passed the message over to others. And that perspective, more than the people say, you know, the Rebbe was a visionary and a leader and dynamic and charismatic, all things, what changed, at least the way I feel, what changed the world, what the Rebbe changed the world with is his ideas. His, and obviously from his ideas, he developed campaigns, mitzvah campaigns, etc. But it's how he saw another person. It's how he saw the role of Torah. It's how he saw the role of mitzvah. It's how he saw the Jewish people. It's how he saw the seven billion human beings on the earth. It's how he saw this globe. It's how he saw the universe that affected his teachings. And those teachings are what changed the world. We are our ideas. And sometimes it's important to put our ideas under a microscope and ask ourselves a simple question. Are my ideas helping to build the world or my ideas, heaven forbid, doing the opposite? This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Afton from Linksfield Shul, wrapping up the show. Thank you, Craig, and thank you, Chai FM. Each and every one of us has... The incredible 
ability to change our world. And in many ways, more than ever before, we have ways to amplify our voices, amplify our ideas, amplify our love, amplify our impact. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, before I sit there writing an SMS, before I write a WhatsApp, before I tweet, before I post a Facebook post, is the energy and the perspective I'm putting out there going to make people happier, kinder? Will it, will it make the world more generous, more beautiful? Will it, or will it, heaven forbid, cause jealousy, you know, sitting boasting about your holiday? Or will it cause hatred by just having a cynical response? Will it cause pessimism just by sharing bad news? What will it cause? We're so responsible for the output we put into this world. We can make such an impact. Not only we can, we do every day. The way we greet people impacts their day. The, what we write to each other impacts their day. How we interact with our loved ones impacts their lives. We are consequential. And that is a Torah perspective. That's not a hoorah, rah, 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 feel good pop psychology, modernistic idea. No, it's real. From the beginning, as we stood at the foot of Sinai, as we're going to read in next week's parsha, we were taught that our actions are consequential. That's why God, when he comes and reveals himself, what does he do? He comes and tells us what to do, because the one time he reveals himself to humanity, he says, listen, guys, what you do makes a difference. If you respect your parent, if you keep Shabbos, if you refrain from stealing, killing, adultery, if you refrain from jealousy, etc., the Ten Commandments, the 613, etc., etc., those things make a difference. We are consequential, and in our time with such a high rate of people feeling worthless, whether due to clinical depression, unfortunately, often it can even lead to suicide, whatever it is, we're living in a time that so many people doubt their own worth. It's without a doubt one of the greatest challenges, if not the challenge of our time, because you cannot change the world for the better with people who feel worthless, because they don't take their actions seriously, they don't realize how consequential they are. If you want to empower people to change the world, you have to first tell them that they are worthy, and they have to believe you, and that was one of the great messages that Lubavitch Rebbe would give over and over during his 42 years that he spoke And his idea still resonates decades after his passing and decades after we haven't heard him speak. His idea still resonates so practically. Remember, you make a difference. You are a value. Your good can change the world. So do more of it. Remember your worthiness and go change the world. That's what Torah calls upon each and every one of us to do. So let's go bring good energy into the world even for just 24 hours the whatsapp that you're about to send or the facebook post you're about to post or that phone call you're supposed to have in a moment make it positive make it beautiful make it light shine the world have a great week wishing you and yours we should only have simcha and joy and good news and light and positivity shabbat